Next, Gene Shepard, and at midnight, all night with Wingate. Maybe we're on? What kind of a cockamamie thing is this? What are you guys going to learn that I could say almost anything in here? How come this light here is burned out? How come the light that says on the air that they always show in the movies is burned out here? And all it says is John Gambling is unbelievable. What is this? Bring it on there, big. Everywhere I look, I'm surrounded by incompetence, fools and knaves. Everywhere. <laughs> Hello, Dave. Hi, George. <laughs> oh, of course, we don't. Not, not, that doesn't include any present company. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes. Uh, incidentally, I understand that... Uh, in one of the local airports, uh, in the men's john, there's a little graffiti written on the wall uh, over a very popular uh, appliance that is used in those establishments. And it says, uh, Gene Shepard has Mike fright. I'm just uh, curious who discovered the, you know, that terrible secret which I've been attempting to... <laughs> Everything's got to get warmed up. We've got to warm up all our equipment here. Oh, uh, uh, since, uh, you know, this is one of those nights, you, you gotta, you got to face it. There are nights when the blood rushes to a person's head, and, and uh, he just... Uh, shouldn't really be called the task for being human, and uh, it's one of those nights. And I just thought I'd warn you for that nice lady who keeps writing, who says, Dear Mr. Shepard, you certainly are at your absolute best when you tell us about your wonderful travels and how wonderful your mother must have been. Oh, come on, baby. She should meet my mother, hard-drinking wench. I don't know where this one's... Oh, yes, it's such a difficult... A little note here from Glasgow. I've been in Glasgow. It's a tough town, boy. Exciting town. Glasgow, Scotland. A court... Uh, I'd like to give him a salute tonight. A court awarded Gordon MacLeod 412 pounds, which is $988.80, damages for injuries received when a public toilet collapsed. City attorneys argued unsuccessfully that MacLeod sat down more heavily than usual because he had been drinking. Uh, would you please give me a little soft, delightful spring music, please? Sneak it in there. Tonight we would like to salute the ever-flowering of the human spirit. I'm just, uh, I'm doing this for a specific purpose, friends. To set the mood, the tempo, the beat. It's kind of an overture. Think of it that way. The curtain rises on the vast theater of life. When the lights dim, when once again another exciting act, part of your time and mine, begins. <laughs> you like that, don't you, Jay? <laughs> well, there's a streak of uh, sort of uh, half-baked poetry that runs through me that just cannot be suppressed. La -ta -ta -ta. Come on, sing this last chorus. Oh, do I know some lyrics to this? Uh, thank you. Now reset that, please, because we're going to need that. La -da -da -dee 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 -dee. La -tu 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 -t
We're going to ask some tough questions. You don't have to answer them, but they could change your thinking about the beer you drink. Did anyone ever tell you all beers taste the same? Do you believe him? Do you know there really is a difference and it depends on how the brewmaster brews it? Do you know a brewmaster is like a cook? And like all cooks, some are better than others? Do you know there's one brewmaster who is so good he's the brewmaster for not just one, but all seven breweries where Ballantine beer is made? And do you know that Ballantine's brewmaster is brewing the best tasting beer you can buy? When are you going to try Ballantine? Why not tonight? And when someone asks you if one beer tastes any better than the rest, tell him the answer to that question. The only answer, Valentine. You mentioned pilots as having a sense of mortality. Hmm. And you also mentioned doctors. He says, well, how come, Shepard, you never mentioned caddies? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> He says, Shepard, you never mentioned caddies. The caddy, one eye corked toward the sky, looking for the ever-threatening golf ball. One eye cocked to the ground, looking for a nice soft ditch. And one ear intently listening for that inevitable cry off in the distance. The sound of a golf ball being hit. Unlike the sound of artillery firing in the distance, and just as deadly. Like artillery, you know when it is aimed right at you. Click. A second passes. I hit the dirt. Not an easy trick with two golf bags on your shoulders. Plunk. I got lucky. Off in the distance, the ball hits. I was lucky. During this day alone, Shepard, I hit the dirt three times. And still the lemmings march on. One day, they're going to get me. Sincerely yours, a caddy. Friend, you are listening to a caddy who has seen it all. I don't think I very, very rarely have I talked about golf on this show. You know why? I hate it. Now, there's a reason for that. You know, I say this. I've said it many times, and I say it again. I say that a person who spends, uh, let's say, eight hours a day making ice cream sodas, knocking together banana splits, turning out malted milks, rarely decides at 7 o'clock that night after he's out of work, let's go out and have a big banana split. What do you say, Madge? Oh, no. You either grow to love the thing you work with, or you hate it. There is no in-between. <laughs> at no point, at no point, it's bartenders. I mean, either a bartender is a secret lush, or he doesn't drink at all. I've never known one who could take it or leave it. It's just a thing that you either hate it or you don't, you know? And I remember my first introduction to golf. I answered an ad that was tacked up on the bulletin board in the high school. It was a beautiful spring day, you know? It wasn't an ad, really. It was just a little note that says, uh, all boys over 14 who are interested in an outdoor job and uh, who are interested in sports report to the office today at 4. And so, uh, you know, I, sports, I figured they're looking for a third baseman, you know. Or maybe they're looking for a guy, you know, that plays a great second base. And so that afternoon, 
At four o'clock, me and Schwartz appears down at the office, along with about 250 other motley types. You know how it is in school. And the lady behind the desk, how many of you remember the, the girl who worked in the desk when you were in high school, you know, in the, in the, on the office? Miss, Miss Matson, who uh, you know, had these rimless glasses and this evil eye. I come in there and she says, oh, you're going to work. I say, yes, I'm going to work. And they sent us all into a room, and a man walked in and picked 15 of us. Obviously, he picked us for sheer talent. I could see that instantaneously. He picked us either that or for a glazed eye. I can't tell, one or the other. And so Schwartz and I were picked along with about 10 or 12 other guys. And early the next morning, which was a, which was a beautiful Monday morning, the first day of vacation, which was later proved to be a hellish vacation, unfortunately, due to the job which I took. And, you know, uh, you never know when you're well off, I'll tell you. It was about 6 a.m. We were to report at 6.30. The first time that I stepped out on a golf course with the dew hanging softly. A little of that soft morning music, please. Ah, yes. Stretching endlessly, endlessly over... The long rolling hills, a Wicker Park golf course lay festering under the gray, threatening skies of a Midwestern spring morning. The dew was heavy on the dandelions as I walked that first morning into the caddy shack to get my, my pin. A whole new world was about to open up before me, and incidentally, it's the same world that prompts me never to watch the Sunday afternoon shell golf tournaments. I couldn't care less what Doug Sanders said yesterday. I give Jack Nicholas short shrift. I've known his kind many time over. Slobs to a man. Bring it up big. Yes, sir. Just because a guy's got quick wrist action does not mean he has a fine mind, friends. Do not confuse the two. I would never like to sit and have long, friendly evenings with Arnold Palmer. I can see that dull, glazed eye of a man with a long rifle shot drive who beats his caddies between bad putts. Did I ever tell you about Smokey? Reset that. We will need that. Smokey was the head of caddies. And I was told to report to Smokey in the caddy shack. Me and Schwartz. And Smokey sat there with his blue jeans and his sweatshirt that said stolen from the Hammond High School athletic track department with his green sunglasses on. He had that snotty look of a staff sergeant, which incidentally is not the same look that a, that a first sergeant has, which is the Burt Lancaster look. He had more of the uh, Kirk Douglas look. You know, he's about to say something rotten. And he's sitting there with a cigarette hanging out of his trap, and about 35 other guys are milling around inside this place. Do you, you know what it's like to be a caddy? Do you ever hear this world of the caddy? You know, you know that I'm authentic already, can't you? You know that there's always the chief of caddies, see, who is an old veteran caddy. He's the, the, the equivalent, the golf equivalent of the eternal tennis bum. I mean, he was always sort of round. 
And uh, he's he's uh, at, at a certain point in his life, he was frozen like a like a fly in amber, forever and perpetually an adolescent. And uh, here he is. He's old Smokey sitting there. And Smokey, in case you're curious, was from Louisville, Kentucky, which is a place that's been frozen in amber for a long time. And uh, I walk in with along with about. 25 other guys. And at that time, see, I'm on the freshman football team, so I figure I know a lot about sports, see, but I didn't realize I knew nothing whatsoever. So I walk in, and Smokey has got a cigar box in front of him. In case you're curious, an old Dutch master's cigar box. Remember vividly, because every morning we took this pen out of that same box. And they had this Dutch master's cigar box there, see. And he's handing out pins. Well, now, many of you probably golfed a bit in your time, and you have not recognized the significance of the pin that the caddy wears. There's a great deal of significance. That's right. In fact, uh, he, he's handing out green pins with numbers on them. And the first number that I got was number 63. And I realized right at that moment that uh, your name isn't the only thing you're going to be called all of your life. And I became 63. All Smokey ever called me was, hey, 63, come here. And I had my 63 on my T-shirt there, you know, my T-shirt that said uh, Tonto on the front of it. And he says, hey, come here, 63. And you, 28, that was Schwartz. Come on over here, you two guys. You're going out with a foursome. And I, you know, I was all excited. I was anxious and eager. To get out there on that beautiful, beautiful rolling hills of the Wicker Park Country Club, which was glistening under the sun by 7.10 when I started my first trip out. And they had, they had rules on the board inside there. Caddies will not speak unless spoken to, which means you don't stand around and make, you know, smart remarks when the guy uh, takes that big wide swing and misses it by a foot and a half. You don't nudge the guy next to him. Oh, man, look at that one. <laughs> and uh, so they, we had to read the rules. He said, I want all you guys, all you new guys, to read the rules here. And so if I get any complaints about any of you guys today, you just might as well not come back. And he said, now I want you to keep your eyes open. I'm going to tell you this. I don't want to hear nobody complaining about lost balls. Now, some balls are going to be lost. Some guy's going to hit them in the water holes out there, and you ain't going to, and we don't want no swimming. I don't want no caddies swimming out there after them golf balls. But on the other hand, I don't want you to dog it. In other words, when some guy slices one off into the rough, I want you to look for that ball. I don't want you to just walk around and kick the woods, knock up a few stickers, and then come out and say, I can't find it. You got that? You find that ball, keep your eye on the ball, and I want to tell you this. You come back in here, and we split all tips 75-25. 75 for Smokey, 25 for number 63, number 28, number 14, number 9, number 6, number 8, number 32, number 17, number 12, and number 9. Any questions? And if I find that you're holding back on them tips, man. And then his eyes narrowed to mere slits. You could see the glistening of the green sunglasses. And I was, this was my introduction to professional sports. This is WOR, New York. Let's see, we have a little note here on how to, 
how to stay cool this summer. This is one way. Try it the French way, you know, the elegant French way with a chilled bottle of red Beaujolais wine. Oh, man, you'll really be living. Just any Beaujolais won't quite make it. You must have a genuine Beaujolais. Alexis Lachine. They make a fine wine. Actually, they import a fine wine. They're French, and they're one of the finest French wines brought over to Americans. Incidentally, one of the most popular. While others have increased their prices, Alexis Lachine is still at its same low price, and the prices of wines are really booming, going up. You've noticed that, Jerry? So I would suggest you check out Alexis Lachine Beaujolais, and it goes great with almost anything. It's a fine, light, uh, sort of a semi-dry, fresh wine. If you haven't tried Beaujolais, try it. Alexis Lachine Beaujolais, the anytime wine, imported by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. Alexis Lachine. Sing it, gals. Alexis Lachine. Alexis And so at ten minutes after seven, Schwartz and I were sent out on our first job. Incidentally, the significance of the green pin means that we were bee caddies. There are two types of caddies, the bee caddy and the A caddy. The bee caddy is the caddy that gets the hackers. And so when these two little fat ladies who look like a pile of bowling balls wearing a Toreador suit show up, they is immediately given a bee caddy, whose only job is to slog his way through the swamp. And to hack around there, and he usually carries a sickle with him to chop the weeds down to look for lost balls. That's all he does all day long. That's a bee caddy. And today, this long, thin guy, seven foot two, who's ranked number three in the state, shows up. The A caddies go out. And that's a different world. That's a very different world. And so that first five minutes, I found myself out at ten minutes after seven with a short, squat Presbyterian minister who played golf with one club, had a wooden handle on it and tape on it. And he was with his nephew, who weighed 346 pounds and who played golf with 294 clubs. And he carried three wet bowling balls in the bottom of his bag. And I carried the two around there. The Reverend Abernathy. I'll never forget the Reverend Abernathy. Who incidentally knew Smokey. And Smokey said, oh, the Reverend Abernathy is here. The Reverend. I always remember he pronounced it Reverend. And the Reverend, you see, the reason he pronounced that is because the Reverend had a distinct lisp. That's the way the Reverend pronounced it. And by God, that's the way number 63 pronounced it. And so we're out on that first tee. And Schwartz is with two thin ladies from the from the choir. Very thin ladies, very brittle ladies, the kind that wear the... Uh, in fact, there's a certain kind of lady that comes out to a golf course. You have to know about that lady. She's the kind that buys the great-looking shoes. You know, the kind with the tongue that flops out like that, and they got the spikes on the bottom? That's a lady that ain't going to play no golf, but she likes to walk around a lot. And she's a bird watcher, really. And so we're, we're out there at 10 minutes after 7. I've never seen a golf game in my life. All I know is that he's supposed to hit the ball in the direction of that flag down there, see? And so the Reverend Abernathy steps up to the tee. He looks around, 
He wiggles his hips. It is one golf club. He takes a wild swing at it, and the ball goes... Well, I'm ahead of the game. The ball has bounced 17 feet down the, down the fairway, and I know exactly where it is. His nephew, Ralph, steps up. Ralph, who was 6 feet 9 and weighed about 290 pounds, big jelly-like. You know, he's the kind that just wiggles when he's standing still. Everything jiggles on him, you know. And he's the kind of guy that actually has a size 56 waist, but he insists on wearing size 42 belts. And he looks like he's tied in the middle and somebody's pulled it real tight, see? And they leg into a whole pile of salamis out there with feet on the bottom. So he, he, he reaches in and he says, he says, would you please hand me my number? He says, I think I'll take my number two wood. I didn't know what the hell a number two wood was at all. I just had a whole mess of clubs sticking out of the top, see? So when I start looking at the clubs, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out they must have numbers on them. See, I didn't even know they had numbers. With that, he says, come here, stupid. He said, give me that bag. And he reaches in and he takes out that number two wood. You've been through this, Jerry, I'm sure. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. Excuse me, sir. Here's number two wood, sir. And I back off and I'm holding this bag on my back. It weighs 400 pounds. And he steps up to the ball. He addresses it. It's a pregnant moment. The sun began to break through the trees. Beautiful moment. It was spring. My heart was young. My hopes were eternal. The 17-foot drive by the Reverend had given me the illusion that I really could keep my eye on the ball. So I was on top of it already. I figured, hell, I could play this game. And so Big Ralph stands there, wiggles for a minute like jelly in a high wind. He's looking down at that crow flight he's got sticking up on that tee, a little yellow plastic tee. He wiggles again. Schwartz is standing off to one side, picking his teeth with a loud crackling sound, which incidentally was later reported, and he was fined $2, which put him 50 cents in the hole for that whole day. So the Reverend is standing off to one side, leaning on that, that wooden club of his. Ralph is looking down the fairway. He turns to me and says, keep your eye on it. I say, yes, sir. And he bends down into that ball. He looks at it cool and long. And then there was a sudden arc in the wind. I see that number two iron flash. I see just a quick spark of whoosh. It goes like that. Whoosh. And nothing. It's gone. The ball's disappeared. And it's just gone. That was the beginning of my longest day. Ralph turns to me and says, Mark, have you ever heard that expression? That means, does the, does the caddy know where it is? I said, excuse me? He says, Mark? I said, my, my name is Shepard. He takes the club and he sticks it back in a bag and he says, let's go. And we trudged off under the gray skies. It was a 7,900-foot drive. He hit it eight miles at a 34-degree angle to the first fairway. 
It was later reported found on another country club, two miles to the west. Well, that day I was in and out of more weeds, more stickers. I heard more obscenity. I'm going to tell you I never knew a Presbyterian minister knew such words. Unbelievable. And, and then I began to discover all kinds of little things about people. For example, everybody I ever met is a cheater. Yeah, we'd go down into the weeds, and the guy would just kick the ball. And, you know, the first time it says, oh, excuse me, sir, they, uh, uh, the card says that's not fair. You can't do that. Well, I want to tell you, fighting my way around that first round was an education in itself. And then, then the, the, the thing that got me about the... See, I didn't realize they hit so many balls in the water. I, I saw a lot of water around there, see. And the first time the Reverend Abernathy, he, he had... I believe he was playing with a Walgreen number two. This is a Walgreen drugstore ball, number two. It's kind of a ball with a knob on the end. And so he, he teed this thing up and he hit it in the water. And it skipped twice. You know, I thought it was going to make it over. And I thought to myself, my God, he is a religious man. I mean, I never expected to see a golf ball walk on water. You know, when it skipped over the top of the water, in it goes. It dives in there. I saw a catfish fly up in the air there. In eight feet of water, it is gone. And the reverend says, that's just a practice shot, thun. And Sam keeping score. I was thun for a while there, see, with that lisp. I said, oh, yes, very good. Yes, sir, yes, sir. No, that doesn't count, right? He says, yes, sir. And so he tees up another one. Another practice shot. We had five consecutive practice shots into the water hazard there, 19 feet of water. Well, I began to think, you know, my head was working then. I said, geez, there must be a lot of golf balls at the bottom of that water. It was so nice and calm. It's the beginning of my life of crime, incidentally, in case you're curious. And we worked our way around after about two and a half, maybe three, four hours. We're around to the ninth hole, finally. We're halfway through. And all the while, this little meter is ticking over in my mind. See, I realize that here I've been out only four hours, and I've made over, oh, maybe 15 cents, which is a good three and a half cents an hour. And so by the time we finally got back to the clubhouse, it was late in the afternoon. Foursomes were going past us all afternoon with the A-caddies. And <laughs> I realized then that I was with a slow freight. And we finally got back to the 18th green... And the Reverend Abernathy says, Son, it was very nice. You're a new caddy, and, and I, I think you, you're going to be all right, Son. And he gave me a dime. Which I, again, uh, I filed that in my, my memory. Don't ever expect a tip from a Presbyterian minister. Maybe a, little, maybe a little blessing, but no tip. And so they piled into their Ford and they left. We walked into the caddy house. It was that first day. And Smokey's sitting there with his cigar box. And by the way, he had two cigar boxes, one for buttons and one marked tips. He had a, he had a piece of tape on the side just said tips on it. And so I thrown my dime in there. He says, where's the rest of it? I said, that's all he give me. He looks at me cold and hard. He could see I was not lying. So he gave me my four cents out of the ten cents, and that was the end of my first day as a caddy. Well, now, 
I began to learn things about being a caddy. First of all, I began to learn that a caddy is like a waiter in an east side French restaurant. He says nothing. It doesn't make any difference who this expense account guy comes in with. He always pretends like he never saw her before. He never implies anything. I began to learn also that being a caddy is an fantastically dangerous job. Do you know that the caddy mortality in this country must be incredible every year? I'm telling you, I one time I got hit by a ball. I'll never forget it. You get hit by them balls. I, I'm I'm walking along the left side of the fairway. See, everything's under control, and I'm with I'm with a couple of hackers. Everything's going fine. I've got the ball marked, and Schwartz is over on the other side. He's got his ball marked. When directly back of us, you hear this this ooh, one of the most deadly sounds of all. When you're way out there on that on that fairway, and there's a slight rise. You see. That's the, that's the thing that makes it dangerous. Sometimes when you're surrounded by these rises and you can't get a good clean shot back to the tee, see? When you hear somewhere off in the ambient air, somewhere in the distance, you don't know where it's coming from. You just hear this sound. Oh, man. That's a scary sound. That's the sound of live ammunition. It's that... It, it, I, can, I can just hear it yet. It goes... And then at the end of that, it goes, that silence, where's it going to go? My God, where is it? Who's this? Who's getting it this time? Oh, oh, here it comes. And then you hear way over here. That's a live bullet going somewhere. Wasn't it Doug Sanders that got hit on the top of the head by a shot from Agnew? Well, listen, I want to tell you, that's no joke. I am way down in the middle of the fairway. The first time I got one, I, I got a good shot. And you know, this kid that wrote me, he's telling the truth. In fact, sometimes at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, your old war wounds never leave you. That's a special kind of wound. It's a war wound received in combat. Well, sometimes at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning, and everything's cool, you know. I'm talking about today, you know, when Shepard wouldn't go near a golf bag. Three, four o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I feel a, a twinge of pain down around my eighth disc from the bottom. Just a funny little momentary twinge. I lay there in the dark and I look up at the ceiling. I can see the green hills, the green hills moving away there, see. I feel another little twinge. Then, deep in my imagination, these sounds, these unforgotten, ineradicable sounds, the sounds that will never disappear, the sounds of wounds. Once a man's been winged by shrapnel, he remembers how shrapnel sounds. Once you've ever been in a good head-out accident, you remember how the sound of breaking glasses and the sound of crumpling headlights and cracking frames. And I'll always remember the sound of those drivers in the distance. That's all. It looks so innocent. And that second time, all you have to do is lose your, your, your concentration once. I didn't hear where it was. Where is it? Schwartz looks around. I see Schwartz look. I see Schwartz drop his bag. I see the duffer that I'm with just sort of slunk along and he looks back like that. And I figured that that ball is gone in the rough. I ain't seen nothing. When all of a sudden, pow! Oh.
They tell me, friends, that the most dangerous bullet of all is the one you don't hear. That's right. That's right. Old pilots will tell you the plane that's going to get you in the air is the one you'd never even suspected was there. Bap! And I saw the ground coming up real quick. The ground is coming up towards us. It's a fantastic moment. Have you ever been hit in the sacroiliac? You know what is it, the sacroiliac? That's where fighters get hit once in a while. And it's forget it's Bill. It's the canvas. Zap! Zap! Nothing. I'm gone. Silence. Just blackness. It's like a blackout at a bad review. And then suddenly out of the darkness, I can see blue sky above my head. It's springtime again. Strangely. I see big fleecy clouds. I can't figure out why I'm looking at the clouds. And then it comes to me, I'm flat on my back. And my whole body is racked with pain. Goes from one end of my frame to the other. And I see a big robin fly past. I have been decked by a number three crow flight that got me in a vital spot, shot down in flames. can't tell me about this caddy world. I've been there, friend. I have sipped at the Elysian Springs. Hit the button. Tonight, instead of the usual before dinner, how about a Dubonnet before dinner? Before that's the time to think about some Dubonnet to drink. Before is the proper time of day to have yourself a Dubonnet. Goodbye, yeah, before... Tonight, before you fix the usual, before you settle down with the same old thing, have a Dubonnet instead. Dubonnet's the wine that's made to go before lunch, before dinner. Just pour it over the rocks. Add a twist. Soda if you like. That's Dubonnet before. Made to make what comes after that much better. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. Excuse me here while I play with my temple bell. Those are my temple bells. Well, it's a very romantic concept, you know. After all, you know, that, uh, no question about it, that man underneath all of that is, is, a, is a deeply uh, mystical creature. And, of course, it comes because of innumerable tiny cuts and scars. You, you're not born mystical. Oh, no. And you have to take enough darts in your psyche, and then you become either mystical or, well, a vegetable, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> but I'll tell you, though, uh, towards the middle of the summer, of that first fantastic summer as a caddy, I'm beginning to have a sense of where I am. You get so that you, you you can even tell a good swing by the sound of it. You can, without even knowing anything about golf, you just sense when a guy is swinging right. And you can sense when a guy's wrists are right. 
just the way he stands. Do you agree with me on that? You just, you don't even have to have ever had a golf club in your hand. You just know it's right. And then you, you have to fight down the fantastic temptation to tell guys that they're standing wrong. And then you have to fight that. So you have to say, hey, you know, if you just pull back a little bit and, uh, <laughs> and uh, line up just a little bit to the left, maybe you'll do something about that slice. And you have to fight it back because guys will turn on you like a tiger. There's, I'll tell you, you can say anything you want about guys' wives, and in general, they'll agree. But you say something about what he's doing wrong on a golf course, he's liable to just throw a putty right through the top of your head. You'll have to get a masher, right? Might mash you right in your spleen, you know, maybe a number five iron. Oh, listen, I saw a guy, you know, you never believe you actually see these things? I saw a guy one time right in the middle of a beautiful August afternoon with the sun high, one of those fantastic days. A guy is duffing around out in the middle of the, about the third, yeah, it was the third, the third hole. He's about a hundred yards out from the, from the green. And he was, you know, there's sometimes you just can't hit those short iron shots. Some guys, you know, some guys can hit a, a driver. Some guys can get a drive off the tee 400 yards. And you give him a, a, an iron, and he's lucky to be able to push it down. He has to push it up the tree, you know. He just can't do it. And so this guy is duffing away with that. He's got that number nine iron. He just keeps hacking away. Finally, he got so mad. Now, I never, I, I thought this was only in cartoons. He got so bugged. He took that number nine iron, broke it over his, just busted it. He just broke it right in half. It was a steel shaft. He boing, it goes like that. He takes the whole bag of clubs and just throws them right in the water. Just throws them right out in the middle. And he, he, turned, he turned to Schwartz, who was his caddy. See, I was, I was caddying for his partner, see. He turns to Schwartz and he says, kid, if you want them clubs, you can have them. And Schwartz is standing there. See, what do you do? Do you run out and grab the clubs? Or, or, or like, do you say to the golfer, I'm sorry? You know. <laughs> so he sort of shifted around. You see, a, a caddy without a, without a bag of, of clubs is kind of nothing. See, he's just nothing out there. So he's shifting around one foot to the other, and the guy turns around and walks right for the clubhouse. Cuts right over the number two fairway and was gone. We never saw him again. And here's his partner. His partner's standing there. He's embarrassed. And he turns to me. He says, uh, <laughs> well, uh, you just have to excuse Fred. You know, it's one of those days. I said, oh, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> what are you going to say? And Schwartz is now wading in the water all up there <laughs> trying to get the clubs. <laughs> Which he did get, incidentally. And played for as far as long as I knew. Schwartz played with that set of clubs. Of course, he didn't have a... A five iron, or was it a nine? He didn't have a nine iron, but nevertheless, he played pretty well, you know. You can fake it. You can jump from a seven to a, to a five, you know. Fake it pretty good. But one day, one of the great moments of my life was coming back, see, after about half of summer had gone by, and I had played with every conceivable hacker you ever saw in your life. Incidentally, the caddies have all kinds of names for them. If, uh, for example... Uh, there's the, the, a certain type of golfer is called a chicken. He says, oh, man, did I have a chicken today. You know what a chicken is? A chicken is a guy that goes around the course in little 12-foot shots. His, his score is th maybe up in, the, up in the, you have to figure it up in the three or four hundreds, you see. But he's not worried about that. 
he he plays it safe. He probably plays his life safe like that. He just hits these little rolling shots that go 12, 15 feet. He just keeps hitting it. And all day long, you just follow this guy as he's hitting the ball. And he's little 12 foot. That's a chicken. Or at least that's that's what they call him. And, my, and incidentally, every group of caddies has its own set of slang. You curious? Now, what, one of the worst guys to ever get is a slammer. Now, what is a slammer? A slammer is a guy who closes his eyes and hits the damn ball as hard as he can hit it in any direction it will go. Now, these guys usually look like Jack Carson. Now, I'm not talking about Johnny Carson. You remember Jack Carson, the actor? They're usually big, hefty slobs who at one time were weightlifters or guys that threw the hammer, you see, for University of Chicago. And golfing to them is a physical sport. And they're very angry at the ball. There's a certain anger that develops at this little crummy ball. And so a slammer will step right up to the ball, and he has infinite, total, and complete optimism. A slammer is also a man of tremendous self-confidence, but no talent. And so his swing goes like this. Because he usually snaps the club at the end, see? And when he hits it, it goes, when he hits it. When he doesn't hit it, there's a sound of a trench being dug. And you see this divot high in the air. And you've got to keep your eyes closed because you're going to get grub worms and all kinds of stuff in your ears and everything else before this guy is through. And a slammer all day long. You're following 7,000-foot shots into the rough. And I've seen birds flying out of trees when the slammers are working. I've seen pigeons weeping. But that's a slammer. Now, <laughs> then there's other types, you see. But that fantastic day after... after Six weeks of, of, of toil. I would leave at six in the morning and I would come home at nine o'clock that night covered with stickers. I mean, I had snake bites. I had mosquito bites. I had turtle bites. I was bitten by every damn thing that crawls, that walks. Even one time a lady bit me. One of the golfers got mad. And, you, you know, after a while, the caddy becomes sort of, a, he becomes the focal point of the duffer's world because he always feels that the caddy is judging him. Which he is. Caddies have a secret way of looking from one to the other across miles of terrain. You say, oh, my God, did I draw a lily this time, Fred. You know, that's the way you carry your bag. And after about six weeks of this, I had had it up to my, you know, but I was out there every morning because, I, you know, I was saving dough. I was working for something. I wanted to have a Johnson outboard motor. The silly, ridiculous thing to want. I wanted one. And I was one-ninetieth of the way towards it after six weeks of toil. And one day, after going out with a, with a foursome from the lead plant, by the way, you can imagine how lead workers play golf. They play a leaden game, I might add. I came back trudging through the gathering gloom. Schwartz was training behind me. We had had a bad day. And I goes into the clubhouse and I throws my tips down in the tip box. And Smokey says, Hey, 63. says, Here's your new number. He gave me an A-10. I can't tell you what that meant. A-27. You are listening to A-27. A legend. Shepherd of the Eagle Eye, 
Shepard, who has been known to spot balls that were underground for 400 yards, unerringly. Shepard, who had a metal tin hat, always, on the top of his head. Shepard, who was known for his unbelievable footwork and fantastic tact. A-27. Schwartz, that afternoon, was crowned A-31. And from that time, the two of us were among the elite. We sat on the benches in our T-shirts that said Wicker Park Country Club with the sweaty marks down the front, caddies who had seen it, caddies who knew what it was. We wore our caddy caps, you know, with the big thing on the front with the badge that said Wicker Park Country Club with sweat stains around the back that shows that we were not, we were not dilettantes. Oh, no. And then I'll never forget the last week of the season just before school was to begin. I caddied for the state champion golfer, the professional champion golfer. Went around in 69. We played a good round, clean to the point. Nothing spectacular, but professional. This is WOR New York, an RKO radio station. Stay tuned for John Wingate. Good morning. You knocked yourself out on the weekend. Now you're back. Relax. Nightbeat. John Wingate. Wingate's Nightbeat. calling itself the Church of Satan. Main Church, San Francisco. What is that all about? We'll try to find out, if possible. Later, Walt Geyer, president of the Institute for Free Enterprise. Good morning, and your headlines. As a matter of fact, suppose we take conceivably the best news first.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every day, we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.